Uh, I heard an old Chinese proverb, and the old Chinese proverb was about an old farmer who had one horse to work his farm, and that was his livelihood. His horse one day decided he had had enough, so he ran away. His neighbors came and said, man, you are the unluckiest man alive. You got one horse, he runs away. How are you going to work your farm? Man, you're unlucky. And the old man, the old farmer said, maybe so, maybe not, we'll see. About three days later, his horse returns, but he didn't return alone. He had went out uh, and consorted with some wild stallions, and when he returned, 12 wild stallions returned with him, went into the corral. The old man shut the corral. Now he didn't have one horse, he had 13 horses. And so his neighbors came back and said, whoa, we thought you were unlucky. You are absolutely the luckiest man alive. You just got 12 horses for free. You're lucky. He said, maybe so, maybe not, we'll see. The next day, his son was trying to break one of the stallions and got thrown from the horse and broke his leg. And so his neighbors came back and said, well, I guess we were wrong. You're really not lucky. You're unlucky, right? I mean, your only son that is here to help you work the farm, now you have no help. You're unlucky. And he said, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. About two weeks later, uh, the, there was war broke out, and so the emperor's men came into town, into the village, and to draft and recruit and draft all the young men of fighting age in the village. All the men had to leave except one man, the young man, the, man, the young man with the broken leg because he wasn't deemed fit for service. And so uh, as every other young man in the, the town went off to fight, uh, this man was left behind, and everybody realized, oh, man, now, I mean, yeah, he's in the short term, he's injured, he's wounded, but uh, in the long term, this is great. They came back and they told the man, man, we don't know what to think. We thought you're lucky, unlucky, but you must be the luckiest man alive because now your son's with you. Ours is gone. You'll have help. You're lucky. And the, man, and the old man said, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. Now, listen, I could go on and on and on with that cycle, right? The proverb could go on and on and on with that cycle. Here's the point. The point is every event and every circumstance in your life is not unto itself. Every event and every circumstance is part of a larger story that you cannot see the whole story, all right? And if you don't understand this, if you don't understand that life is more than the moment, then you're going to have uh, the opportunity at many points in life to allow your circumstances to literally steal your joy, right? And our bottom line today is more than the moment, more than the moment. Life is more than the moment. We want you to get that because we don't want you, uh, your circumstances, to dictate your joy, okay? We don't want your circumstances to dictate your joy. We're in a series called Joy Thieves, and it's on the first chapter of the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, the first chapter of Philippians. And the whole theme of Philippians is joy, which is so relevant to us because we all want joy. You're watching online, you want joy. You're in the room, you want joy. We look for it. Sometimes we get a hold of something that we think is joy. Sometimes it might be, but just as quickly as we get a hold of it, man, it squirts out of our hand like a bar of soap in a shower. We can't seem to keep it. Why? Because life is full of joy thieves. Okay, we want to point those out, and we've done, been doing that. This is our third week, so I encourage you to go back and look at some of those. Today, as we look at, at verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1, what we want you to see is that uh, a warped perspective on your circumstances will steal your joy. All right? A warped perspective, or I would even say a hyper-focus on your circumstances will steal your joy, okay? So let's look at, at uh, chapter 1 of, of Paul's letter to the Philippians and read uh, verses 12 through, 15, uh, 12 through 18, and hopefully you can begin to see that Paul is, is in bad circumstances. He's in prison, all right? That's not a great circumstance. He, he's in prison, and, and, but his prison didn't steal his joy, 
all right? Let's, let's, let's look at why. We're going to begin to understand why this circumstance did not just destroy Paul. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Okay, that's a different perspective. You begin to see immediately, man, okay, he, he's thinking uh, uh, differently about this, right? It's advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so what we, what we see here coming out the gate, Paul is in the pokey, all right? He's in jail for the terrible crime of preaching the gospel. He's in jail for preaching the gospel. Now, many preachers will tell you this. If you read books or listen to sermons today on TV, many preachers will tell you that if you love Jesus and if you follow Jesus, then your life will be cake, right? I mean, that's, that's what many preachers will tell you. But here's what you got to understand. Just because someone has pastor before their name and a Bible on the pulpit doesn't mean they know what they're talking about, all right? You got to weigh those things with what the Scripture actually says. And the Scripture does not say that your life will be cake if you follow Jesus, okay? You'll never hear me say that because it would be erroneous, right? Paul's life is a refutation that following Jesus will produce your best life now. It refutes all of that. As a matter of fact, Paul, outside of Jesus Christ, is arguably the greatest Christian leader, the greatest Christian thinker, the greatest preacher, uh, the greatest church planner, the greatest theologian in the history of Christianity, all right? And his life was filled with suffering. I mean, he, he didn't have a, a cake life. His life was difficult at every turn. As a matter of fact, he describes this in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 24, and let me read through 24 through 28, just to get a, a glimpse of Paul's uh, circumstances, his suffering, and see if you think this lines up with follow Jesus and your life is great, all right? Listen to what he says. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Now, the 40 lashes less one it was because, uh, you know, for punishment of crimes, the Jews would sometimes be beaten, and God had established in Deuteronomy, you can't beat a Jew more than 40 lashes, so they began to do it 39 so that they wouldn't miscount and all that kind of stuff. And so Paul says, five times I've been beaten for preaching the gospel, okay, basically. I mean, he didn't, his hardened crime was sharing Jesus, all right? Five times he was beaten, the 40 times uh, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's a tough life. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At ni a, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger of false brothers, danger of Will Robinson. Uh, all the young people was like, Will Robinson. <laughs> if you're old, you laughed, all right? 
So anyway, where was I? Danger uh, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So you, you look at Paul and you're like, okay, this is the greatest Christian thinker outside of Jesus, leader, preacher, teacher, uh, church planner in history. And he just gave you a list of beatings and suffering and ridicule. I mean, he says, man, there, there, were, there were times when I've been beaten to within an inch of my life. I, you know that when he, he was left for dead on the side of the road, he was even beaten to the point, stoned to the point of they left him for dead on the side of the road thinking he was dead. He says, I was stoned. That doesn't mean he spent time in a mile high city, all right? What that means was he had literal rocks hurled at his skull to crush his skull, okay? Uh, he was shipwrecked. Man, I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm shipwrecked, right? Surely the ship will get there safe. Adrift at sea. Uh, we know that he was ridiculed and he was slandered. He says at the end here in verses 15 through 18, he talks about preachers preaching the gospel. And he says, since I've been in prison, some are preaching it with great motives to share the gospel. Others are preaching it and their motives are not really to share the gospel. Their motives are to, to inf uh, inflict me. They're, they're bashing me. You see, even within his own tribe, even Christians, pastors were attacking Paul and slandering Paul. Why? Because they were jealous, because he sold more books than they did. He drew more crowds. He filled arenas, man. And, and, and I mean, he had more knowledge in his little finger than they had in their combined IQ, and they didn't like it. And so they're, they're bad-mouthing him. But Paul said, look, they're bad-mouthing me, but you know what? They're preaching the gospel. They weren't preaching a false gospel or he had called them out. They were just not anti-Christ. They were anti-Paul. And so they're bad-mouthing Paul, so he's ridiculed, he's slandered, he's beaten, he's stoned, he's shipwrecked over and over and over. I mean, he's thrown out of towns, he's in danger in the wilderness, he's in danger in the city. All this, man, all of this. You think Paul had an opportunity to say, God, what in the world are, is going on? He, he had every opportunity to get bitter, didn't he? He had every opportunity to question why in the world, man, I gave up a cush job. I gave up influence. I gave up power. Man, I had people that would wait, serve me, wait on me. I mean, if I needed something, they'd bring it. Now I got people that's bringing the belt, right? I mean, I got people that's whooping me, beating me, spitting on me. Why? Some of you know exactly what Paul was dealing with because some of you, like Paul today, man, you're dealing with some giant circumstance. Right? I mean, some of you, maybe, uh, maybe your parents are getting a divorce. Maybe your spouse is cheating on you and you've recently found out. Or maybe you, you, you've been, you've been, your marriage has been struggling and, to be honest, it's circling the toilet, right? And you're like, I, I, I need to call. I, I, I want to eject. I don't know, but you need to call us. Maybe you're in, in work with us, but your marriage is in trouble. Some of you are suffering from estranged family relationships. Some of you, man, you got some depression, some disease, some sickness, Right, you've lost your job. There, there's all, many. There's all over this room. There's people that says, "Man, I know. I know some of what Paul was feeling." You're watching online. I know some of what Paul was feeling. You know that, right? I mean, you know exactly how he was feeling because you suffer this. And, and listen, if you're not today, here's what I know. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, you know what? If you are not now, you have before face a giant of a circumstance, and you will again because you live in a broken world, right? And because you live in a broken world full of ups and downs, twists and turns, 
good days and bad days, here's what will happen. If you don't understand that life is more than a moment, you will allow your circumstances to steal your joy. If you don't understand that they're about something deeper, Paul was in prison, Paul had been beaten, Paul had been stoned, Paul had been uh, ridiculed and slandered and ran out of town, uh, all these things, and now he is in jail again for preaching the gospel, but he didn't let it steal his joy. Why? Because he knew that life was more than the moment. He knew that it's about something deeper. Paul didn't let it steal his joy because really Paul's focus wasn't on what his, how his circumstances affected him. His focus was on how his circumstances advanced the gospel. That was Paul's focus in life. And so therefore, he knew that this circumstance is here and God's in control and God's sovereign and I don't know what he's doing. And folks, sometimes you will not know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing, but I know it's the advancement of the gospel. And it completely changed his, person, his perspective on uh, his circumstances. And so what we see here in verse 13, uh, Paul describes how his circumstances were advancing the gospel among the non-believers. He said uh, in, in verse 13, he said, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for the cause of Christ. Now, uh, let, me, let me help you get that, your mind around that and understand what it means. You see, uh, the imperial guard, he said it's become known throughout all the imperial guard and the rest that my imprisonment is for the cause of Christ. Now, the imperial guard were, were 9,000 strong. There were about 9,000 imperial guard, and they were a group of elite soldiers who were handpicked to be the emperor's bodyguard. So they got double pay, they got great pensions, and they got special duties uh, as uh, the imperial guard, and they became the most powerful group in, uh, in all of Rome. To be quite honest, they were the most powerful body in all of Rome. And so Luke tells us that in, 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 in uh, Acts 28, Luke tells us that Paul, when he was brought to Rome, he was handed over to the prefect of the imperial guard, the leader of the imperial guard. He was handed over to the imperial guard and allowed to dwell alone, chained to a soldier. So in other words, he was pretty much under house arrest, right? He was, he, he was allowed to be in a, in a confined quarters, chained to, a, to a, an imperial guard, meaning a chain would have been attached to Paul's wrist, uh, then attached to the imperial guard's wrist 24-7 for two years until he stood trial before Caesar, which would have been about two years. And so he's chained to the, to the guard, and every few hours, these guards would rotate, right? It's not like you got your guard and he's with you 24-7. They would continually rotate. And so over the course of two years, Paul had the opportunity to really get to know many of these imperial guard on a first name basis, right? I mean, now these imperial guard were accustomed to being chained to convicts and psychopaths, all right? I mean, you, you know they were cynical and they were hardened because they, everybody that came through was innocent, right? I mean, everybody that came through, they would talk about this, they would talk about that, or they were psychopathic, they were, they were hardened criminals. And so, the, so, so this imperial guards, man, they were cynical, they were hardened, but that's not what they heard from Paul. From Paul, they didn't hear him moan. They didn't hear Paul complain. What they heard Paul, they heard Paul sing in worship. They heard Paul pray. They heard Paul teach and share the gospel with people who would have come to see him. Like we know Epaphroditus, he came to see him. We, 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 they heard Paul preach and teach the gospel. 
throughout this time. You know that Paul, because of his life's focus, he would have, he would have shared the gospel with these imperial guards. He would have asked them about their families. He would have counseled them. Just like today, it was a broken world. And just like today, they dealt with stuff. And so you know that some of those imperial guard, they were far from God. Uh, and they were pagans far from God. And you know that, man, they were dealing with marital issues. They were dealing with kids off the rail. They were dealing with health issues. Just like today, they were dealing with boss issues. They were dealing with uh, all kinds of stuff. And don't, you know that Paul had counseled them. I mean, he had, he had encouraged them, counseled them, asked about their family. And here's what happened. Uh, so he, he did this with some of these 9,000, and probably not all the 9,000, but then they went out, as, as we can see in the, the letter, and began to talk about the things that Paul was sharing with them. And so it became known throughout the, all, the entire imperial guard, Paul says, that his imprisonment was for Christ and all the rest. So Paul says, brothers, I want you to know what's happened to me has happened to advance the gospel. Because people were going, oh, Paul, you know, some of those pastors that were that were critical of Paul were going, if he had just kept his mouth shut, he wouldn't have been in prison and he's in prison. So, you know, God's not blessing him. Look at me. I'm not in prison. God's blessing me. Right? Some of them were like, if he had kept his mouth shut, it'd have been better for the rest of us. And, 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 you know, they were criticizing Paul. Paul's like, oh, this is not hindering the gospel. It's advancing the gospel. Think about it. These, when, when Paul would go into town to preach the gospel, he would go to a synagogue first was the custom, preach the gospel, then move on. These imperial guards, they were pagans, they were Roman. They would have never come to hear Paul preach the gospel. They would have never came to hear Paul preach the gospel, okay? So now the world can look in and say, look at poor Paul preaching the gospel, and now he's chained to a soldier. Paul said, oh no, uh, the soldier's chained to me. You see, Paul said, I, I don't see myself as chained to him. I see him as chained to me. He's the one that is a captive audience because I've got some hours here to share the gospel with this guy. And that's what Paul was doing. That's what he was doing. See, he, Paul didn't see his circumstance as being, oh, this is horrible and God's punishing me and all this stuff. He saw his circumstance as the means by which God was getting the gospel to the most powerful group, political group in Rome that amazing? And we think, oh man, God will do that. I'll stand before all the Senate. I'll stand before all the Congress and I'll stand before all the politicians and I'll stand before all the political power and I'll preach one day. That's great. But Paul's like, look, that might be the way God does it for you. But for me, he put me in jail chained to them. And that's how he got the gospel. And, and so Paul said, man, this is not my circumstances are not hindering the gospel. They're advancing the gospel. And we don't know how many believed, but we know a lot did. We know it got, it got so deep in there that at the end of the letter, Paul said, and he talks about the saints, even in the Caesar's household. Isn't that amazing? So you see, Paul could have gotten down and bitter about his circumstances. Whatever circumstance you're in today, you can get down about it. You can get bitter about it, man, and you can question it. And, 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 or, or you can say, you know what? I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what this is about. And I may never know, but here's what I know. I trust the Lord, and I'm going to use it to advance the gospel. That's what we see. We see, we see that, that Paul's suffering advanced the gospel. His circumstances, he knew they were more than the moment. They're about something deeper and bigger, and they advanced the gospel among non-believers. But we also see that Paul's uh, circumstance advanced the gospel among believers. They advanced the gospel among believers because verse 14 says, here's what he says, most of the brothers— 
Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Most, he said. That's huge. Because here's what we begin to think, man. It's easy to think, man, if we persecute Christians, they'll keep their mouth shut. People do that today. Do you know persecution is, is worse today than at any time in history of Christians around the world? Persecution, more Christians are dying today. Persecution is horrible in many parts of the world today, worse than ever. And, you know, we, we've seen stuff with ISIS, and we've seen stuff with all these groups that persecute Christians, and they're like, if we persecute them and behead them and put them on national television, then guess what? They'll quit sharing the gospel. It'll beat them down. Man, they're not smart enough, I guess, to realize that all of church history proves otherwise. Where there's persecution, the gospel flourishes. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, it's, it, it's, it's in countries like, well, like we are to be quite honest, where there is little persecution, that people, is, the, the persecution is so little that people believe that, man, I, I'm losing a friend is persecution. Or, or being, being, you know, excluded from a group of people is persecution. When we get down to the level of believing that that's persecution, that says we're not being persecuted, and then people begin to keep their mouth shut and don't speak anything about the gospel relatively in, in, in Christendom. And so, but it, it, all through history, history has proven that when Christians are persecuted, the gospel advances. It's not hindered. Do you know that? A uh, guy named, uh, if, if we go back uh, to, to look at just some of the missionaries, uh, one of my favorite, I mean, there's so many I could bring up, but Jim Elliott, many of you have, have heard of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott's a great example of what I'm talking about. Jim Elliott graduated from Wheaton in the late 40s, and Jim Elliott was a very skilled linguistic uh, linguist. He was, he was uh, an incredible man, and he said, man, I've got a passion God has given me a passion to share the gospel with the Aka Indian tribe in the Amazon. Now, the Akas were a fierce warrior tribe, okay? They killed people, speared people. I mean, they were fierce. But he is, his passion was that they come to know and treasure Jesus. And, you know, most missionaries that, that, that are called that go like that, they have people, maybe it's some family members, maybe it's, it's just people's like, man, what are you doing with all the people? There's, many, there's so many people here that need Jesus. Why would you go over there? You know, I mean, it, and, and well, because God told me to. That's the answer. God, God spoke in his word here, there, and everywhere, and there's where he told me to go, right? And, and so the call's the same. The application's different. God's called some of you to be right here sharing the gospel. He's called some of you to go to Brussels, Bangkok, uh, the Amazon, uh, you know, California, wherever, you know. No, that's a foreign country too, right? And so God's called, God's called us to go all over and share the gospel. I love California. All you Californians that are watching right now, it's just, I don't know, it came to my mind. I don't know. So, so he goes to the Amazon, and he and four of the missionary buddies, they load up, they load up a little small plane. They're going to fly into this area where they can, a beach where they can land a plane and share the gospel. As they're getting ready to leave, they take a gun along with them because, man, they're in the jungle right? They're in the jungle. And there's all kind of dangers in the jungle. I mean, man, I, I, if God called me to the Amazon, I, you, you, I hope I would go, right? But I'm just going to cry back, Lord, God, there are snakes in the Amazon. I don't like snakes. You know that, right? So they took a, they took a gun. Someone asked Elliot, hey, if the Alcas attack you, will you use the gun? And he said, not on your life. I am prepared to meet my maker, they're not prepared to meet theirs. I know where I'll go, and I know where they'll go. Not on your life. That's how passionate he was about them coming to know and treasure Jesus. So they went, 
we all know, you know, Time Magazine reported it. I mean, it, it's all, it's history tells the story. They landed, man, they attacked, they killed, speared, killed all five missionaries. Some people's like, what a waste. All five of those guys could have stayed at home, man. They could have been sharing the gospel. They could have been pastoring churches in safe places. Man, they could have, I mean, many young pastors could have come through their ministry. Many missionaries could have come through their ministry. What a waste. Why did they do that? Matter of fact, we began to hear that when a young man was killed recently when he went to share, you know, uh, with a, 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 a tribe and they killed him and buried him on the beach. And, well, he's crazy, you know. Why? So, so people saying it, that just hurts the gospel. Folks, it didn't hinder the gospel. It advanced the gospel because what happened was when, when the news of what happened got back of Elliot and his four other friends, when uh, Saint, Nate Saint, Steve Saint, Nate Saint, when, when news got back, what happened was it, it created this revival for international mission on Wheaton campus and other college campuses. And people began to be motivated to say, whoa, that, mo- that commitment motivated them. And they stood up, man, they began to go. It not only motivated students, it motivated their wives. Did you know that the wives of the five guys who were killed by the Aukas? Now, if your spouse was killed by a group of people, you could have the ability to say, I want to wipe them from the face of the earth, right? You could have the ability to say, man, we're going to get justice. We're going to get, you could have the ability to let that circumstance begin to, to warp in your mind how you feel about a group of people. But they were there and they too had the call and they too had a passion for this group of people to come to know and treasure the Lord, Jesus Christ. And so therefore they said, we're not stopping. They went back in. And you know what happened? Through their motivation and commitment, the AUKUS began to know and treasure the Lord and surrender to the Lord. And today there's AUKA Christians all over. Isn't that amazing? See, it didn't, it didn't hinder the gospel. It advanced the gospel because it emboldened the, the believers. It emboldened believers to, to share. You know, one of the most famous quotes from Elliot. I used to have it painted on my wall and, and until we repainted. Now we've sort of, you know, demolished our walls over there. But I used to have it painted on my wall. And it, it said, it, it's, it's one of the most famous quotes of Elliot. I love it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, I mean, it, it is, it, it, it's an amazing quote, and it just says he got it, right? He and Paul, they got it. What did they get? They got that life's not about them. That's when your circumstances are going to start killing you. He got that life's not about him. He got that, man, w- whether I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, uh, wealthy, whether I'm in poverty, whether, um, man, uh, I mean, w- whether I suffer, whether I die, whether I'm appreciated or whether I'm not appreciated, that's not the deal. The deal is Jesus. They got it. They got it. And, 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 and you know, both, both Paul and Jim Elliott realized that if the worst thing happened, now what would you say the worst thing? If I said, what's the worst thing could happen? Most people would say death. Not, not really for them. Paul said, what? Paul said, to die is to gain, right? If I die, I get Christ. I get what I really treasure. If I die, Jim Elliott said, man, I'm not using a gun because I'm ready to meet my maker. They knew if the worst thing that we think happened, death, they'd just get more of what they want, treasure of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing, folks? And, and, and this motivated the church. When Paul, Paul said, not just a few, most, he said. He said, not just a few of the believers, but most of the believers began to be so bold, they began to share their faith with, in, in Jesus Christ. Because they all of a sudden began to say, guys, I mean, if Paul can share his, if Paul can go to prison for sharing the gospel, surely I can go to school and share the gospel. 
I mean, if Paul goes to prison for sharing the gospel, surely I can go to work and share the gospel. Surely I can go across the street and share the gospel. If Paul's willing to die for sharing the gospel, surely I should be willing to lose my job if that means losing my job to share the gospel, or I lose a friend if it means losing a friend to share the gospel, surely. And so it motivated them. It motivated them. It didn't hinder the gospel. It advanced the gospel. So here, folks, here's, here's what you need to know today. There's going to be times when you feel chained to your circumstances, like Paul, I promise you. Metaphorically, you're going to feel chained to your circumstances. And man, it's just going to be like this cloud that can hang over you. You're going to feel, you know, misunderstood, maligned, ignored. And, 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 and if you don't understand that all of life is more than the moment, you're going to have the opportunity at that point to get bitter and to let, let your circumstance steal your joy. You know that? And I promise you're going to face them. You, most of you probably are in some kind of a giant circumstance today. But if you're not, you will. Okay? Because we live in a broken world. And you know what? Joy, it just, it, I mean, for most people, they grasp it and they lose it. And many times it's because our, our, our perspective is warped. Because we think, man, it, it, we, we only look at it as how it affects me. And you need to, we need to start flipping the switch and look at it as, okay, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, now this can only be if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not just how it affects me, but how it advances the gospel, it builds the kingdom. Because here's what's going to happen. If you're in some kind of a giant of a circumstance right now, all of a sudden you're going to probably be introduced to a whole new group of people. Do you know that? Whether it's doctors, counselors whether it's just different people from professionals in that area, in your life, whatever, you're going to have a whole new group of people. And it's like, okay, man, this is my mission field. This is another mission field. I, I, I want to make sure that the gospel is advanced among those who don't believe as a result of this circumstance. And also you, the believers, the family. You know, when I see you go through stuff and when I see how you handle stuff, I'm like, wow, man, I'm I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how you handle stuff and how you let circumstances not destroy you but advance the gospel. It's amazing. And so I, I promise you're going to go through circumstances that are going to be good. Man, you're going to be on the mountain in life, and then you're going to be in the valley. Life's going to sometimes hit you, and here's the thing. Sometimes some of the circumstances you create, Right? I mean, sometimes you create some of the circumstances. Sometimes I'm thinking, well, why am I sick? And you say, well, it's because you ate two dozen donuts from Krispy Kreme at one setting. <laughs> That's my fault. I brought that on, right? And I could, I believe, eat two dozen donuts from Krispy Kreme at one setting. I brought that on. Sometimes I look at my circumstances, and it's easy. It's, I brought it on. But sometimes, man... I don't know why it's there. I don't, sometimes, man, I, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hit by a rogue wave and I don't know what caused it, right? Sometimes I'm at a, sometimes a, a truck, a rogue truck comes out and sideswipes me and, you know, I mean, so, and, and I did stop at the stop sign that one time. I, I st you know, most time I roll through, but I did stop and a truck still hit me. It's not my fault. I don't know why. That's, that's the way your circumstances are. Sometimes it's easy to look and go, I did this. One plus one equals two. It's easy. I cause that. Sometimes it's like, I, it doesn't add up. I don't know where it comes from. That's life. Right? If you're a believer, you've got to begin to understand life's more than the moment. Life is more than the moment. It's about deeper. There's a bigger story here and how your moment fits into all the moments. And I want to redeem this moment for the glory of God.
I promise if you get that attitude, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you can just like, when your circumstances come, you're happy about them. Do you think Paul literally said, I mean, I'm happy about getting beat with a rod? I mean, hey, thank you, sir. May I have another? No, he wasn't a masochist. He didn't like being beaten with a rod and having stones hurled at his head and being shipwrecked. He didn't like it. I'm not asking you to ask. He didn't, you know, it's not, he didn't like it. But it's when it was where he was, he said, man, I want to redeem this moment for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, to do that, first, you, gotta, you, you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And we have people all over the room and watching all, online from all over the place that are not believers in Jesus Christ. You're not alone. If you're here and you don't, you don't treasure Jesus yet, you, you don't believe in him, you're not alone. Okay? We got folks all over who are not alone. That's the first place to begin. And matter of fact, we're getting ready to baptize 11 or 12 folks. And, and when we baptize these 11 or 12 folks, what I want you to understand is because we have people from all different backgrounds at this church. We have people from, from just so many different backgrounds spiritually. Uh, and some of you maybe have been taught or seen or felt or understand or think differently about baptism, different things. And here's what we want you to understand here at LifePoint based on what the Scripture, we believe the Scripture clearly teaches. When people go in this baptism, that does not save them. Okay. Now, I, I, all y'all, you know, we're going to go through this baptism in just a minute. Man, it's a special day for me because I get to baptize three of my kids today, okay, which is awesome for me. Uh, and uh, so, but that water is not going to save. Matter of fact, listen, you know, any of you been on a farm lot, right? I mean, I sort of grew up on a farm. My granddad had a farm and I was there all the time. And you know what that is right there? <laughs> The only thing that makes it holy is it's set aside for something, right? That's what cows and horses drink out of. I mean, man, if we were trusting it for salvation, we'd have like gold-plated baptismal, right? We don't trust the container. It doesn't matter. The water in it, uh, that's, that's the same water that you wash the grease off your face with and the sweat. I mean, as a matter of fact, if you go over and look in it and don't tell because there's some girls getting baptized. I got two girls getting baptized. And if you look over in it, there's going to be some bugs in it because nobody skimmed it in the last hour, and they sort of landing at it. It's not holy, except for it's set aside for a purpose. That water doesn't save you. Jesus does. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. That water is a symbol. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Death, of an old life, burial of an old person, resurrection of a brand new person. That's what it's a symbol of, right? It's a symbol. It's an important symbol because it says, I'm on his team. I'm now a brother. I'm now a sister. We're family. I'm with you. And we celebrate when a new family member comes into the family, just like the three kids I'm baptizing today. When we brought all three of these home, one from Ethiopia and one from China, we celebrated that. And that's what we're doing today. They're, they're home. They're a part of the family. And we're going to celebrate that with 11 or 12 people that's part of the family. Okay, so if you don't know Jesus, we would love for you to come to know Jesus. Come back and talk to us. We're, man, our staff out in the area, if you go out in the door, if you'll go to the right or out the very far door to my right, your left, if you go out that, you just go straight, you'll run into us. We're standing there. Our staff, come and talk to us. We'd love to. If you want to know about joining the church, we had people talk to us about joining the church. Uh, uh, you come and talk to us. We would love to pray. Maybe you're dealing with one of those circumstances that's a giant and you don't know what to do with it. Let us know, man. We want to pray with you. That's a great thing about family. We link arms. You go through it, but you don't have to go through it alone. We want to be with you there through it, okay?
come back and let us know. We want to pray for you. Pray all those kind of things, all right? So I'm going to, I'm going to pray and Here's what we're going to do. Let me, let me tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and we're going to take up our offering, our tithes, and we take up tithes and offerings here. It's a part of worship. It's, it's worship, giving back to God what God has given us. And so I'm, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings, and some of you give hard copy. You write a check. You know, I give, Amy and I, we give. It's set aside online, and it comes out. You can do it online. You can do it on our app. You know, some ways to give right there. Uh, so we're going to take up our tithes and offerings, and then we're going to baptize, and we're going to celebrate. And you respond however the Holy Spirit leads you to respond during this time, okay? And then we're going to baptize and celebrate, and Zion will sing and lead us out. And so let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, this is the day that you've made, Lord. And God, we thank you, Father, that you are bigger than our circumstances. Thank you, Lord, that even though we live in a broken world, you're over all of that. And God, I know that there are people in this room that are going through suffering and circumstances right now. Help them to know and understand that their suffering or circumstance is not wasted. Help, help I pray for, for those who believe in you to begin to adopt and live by the principle that life is more than the moment. And to, and to begin to see that not just in how it affects us, but in how it advances the gospel and can advance the gospel. And to come under you and to make everything everything about the glory of God. About the glory of God alone, Lord. We love you. God, I pray that those who don't today would begin to sense you calling them into a relationship of love and trust with you. Thank you for those who are being baptized, God. Thank you for all, every person that we baptized in the first service and in this service. God, I'm... I'm particularly, uh, Lord, as their pastor, I'm thankful for all of them. God, I've got three kids, and I'm grateful for that, Lord. Only you saved them. And God, we've cried out, and we've prayed, and we've asked you to save them, and you did. And I pray that today, as we celebrate, that it would be motivated, that it would motivate so many people to give their life to you. We love you, and we praise you, we adore you, we thank you for this moment and this day, and we pray that it advances the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.